Hear this, O Israel. Listen, Southfield. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again. And if you don't mind, I'll add again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them on your hands and wear them on your foreheads as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Right there in Deuteronomy, Moses makes clear to us that we have a responsibility to make sure that there is a next generation of Christ followers. The next generation of Christ followers doesn't happen because you occasionally drop your child off at a program on a Sunday morning in between baseball, soccer, and everything else. He says, parent, you have the primary responsibility for training your child in the ways of God. You're like, well, I'm no expert. Well, become one. (laughs) Become one. Take time getting to know God because you are your child's primary influencer. I think we have the best youth pastor in all of America, probably the continent, and maybe the world, right? And even he can only do so much with an hour a week. It's that moment after moment, the natural moments of waking up, going to sleep, driving along the road on the way, that we get the chance to train up our children. I know. That's big brother Noah. He's a hoot. And this is Harper. And Harper is sweet as anything. She even came to me a little while ago. Come here, sweetie. As long as mom's close by, this works. Harper. I've known your daddy since he was a little boy. He was best friends with my little boy. And from early on, I could tell that he was a really good man. And God gave you a great gift by giving you an awesome daddy. He loves you. He loves God. And he loves your mama. That love is so important. And he went all over the country looking for an amazing woman because he couldn't find one here. (laughs) And he went to Arizona. And this lady came on the scene. And I'll tell you what, you don't know how good you have it. You have an amazing mom, really wonderful mom. And as great as they are, they're going to goof and make mistakes sometimes. But they both have soft hearts. They're the kind of people that are going to say, I'm sorry, I didn't get that one right. And they're going to love you. You got a brother, by the way, too. I think you've met. And uh, big brothers are supposed to be nice and help you, protect you. And sometimes they mess that up, too. But know this, he still loves you. He really does. And your grandmas love you. Your grandpas love you. Your aunts and uncles love you. And Pretty much everybody in the church that's met you loves you. 
I was trying to think of a great verse for you. Yeah, you're reading it. You can see it. <laughs> let's, let's look at that together. Your name, <clears throat> interestingly, I looked it up. Harper means the player of a harp. Wow. <laughs> that one was a shocker, right? But then I thought of this verse. Zephaniah 3.17. For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. Get this. Every day God sings over you and over your existence. You're deeply loved by everybody that knows you and you're deeply loved by God. And I pray for a day that you will love him deeply as well. And until then, we're going to pray that you do. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and give you peace. And let there come a day that you trust in Jesus as the forgiver of your sin and the leader of your life. I pray that God will make you a godly woman and a strong woman. A warrior in a culture that needs warriors. And a person who loves deeply as well. Pray for your mom and dad. Pray for the challenges of raising kids that they'll never wilt in the challenge, but they'll always accept it and do their best with you. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> Good time to close. <laughs> Thank you. Love you. Love you. Love you. Love you. Love you. You're coming. Hi. How are you? Good. Whew. My goodness. Um, okay. So How did you read that? Oh, uh, well, <laughs> I didn't. I gave you a lot of great attributes. I didn't give you my eyes. Nope. Sorry. No, you did not. I will Thanks. donate them at my death. You can have them. How's that? <laughs> um, wow, that's morbid. Anyway, so I had this weird thing happen this week. I, I was excited to be able to help you. You had to take the truck on over to Frankfurt to get fixed. And with, you know, cross-country school and everything else, it was kind of messy, so... Mom and I drove the truck over, and, you know, I'm, I'm glad that most days I work out of home or all of 10 minutes away down a quiet Route 6. So we're coming back. I, I actually, I didn't go directly by way of 80 because taking your mom on 80 is almost as bad as trying to teach her technology. And so um, we, we, we took this long way through Joliet, back on over down 30. We're coming back, and... Um, and I'm admiring all the construction that's going on. And we come to the Desplaines River Bridge. That bridge has always given me horror. And this goes back all the way to my childhood. I'm not kidding. When my dad would go over a bridge, I'd lean this way in the car to try to make sure it didn't flip over and go over the bridge. I, this is my only real psychotic thing, okay? <laughs> so I get on that bridge, and, and I don't like being on the outside lane. And as I'm approaching, I'm realizing this thing has forced me to the outside lane. I've got to get to the inside lane. There's a truck in front of me. I look around, I pull over, get in the middle, whew, I can breathe. We're going over the bridge. And then I look over and there's this old guy. He had to have been about 102 and he's driving. And he is, veins are bulging out of his neck. He's fisting me. He's all this stuff. And I'm like, oh my word, I must have cut him off. I think, okay, I must have, I mean, he was, he was mad, he was mad, 
And, I, and I'm looking, I'm going, sorry, I, you know, what trying to throw a dollar right? out yeah. the window, yeah. something to make him happy, right? So we get to the other side of the bridge, and he takes the center, center street exit, and as he does, mom looks over, and he's showing him one of his fingers, showing oh, her one of his fingers, yeah. not the nice finger, yeah. you know, and he just boom, 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 and I'm like, dude, Makes breathe. it feel a little warm and cuddly inside. Why it? do I raise yeah. all this this morning? If you happen to have a relative or a friend that was really mad this week about some idiot on the Des Plaines River Bridge that cut him off. Would you put him in contact me? I, I have prayed for this guy. I, I, want, I want to apologize. I didn't mean it. I would never drive that drive. You're heroic. It's, it's a fun one. I mean, I'm not the only one who does that. Don, Don Yost and I <sighs> essentially trade spots every day. He goes from Shanahan to Mokina, and I go Frankfurt to Shanahan. And uh, I'm sure he's seen some of this. We've, I've seen people throw golf balls up the out their window, like mad at the people behind them, and bump, bump, underneath the, it's, 80's a war zone. <laughs> we need help. Yes, we do. Dang. Yes, we do. Glad, glad we have Jesus. Okay, <laughs> so yesterday, your girls were amazing. Yeah, well, my boys too. I know, but your too. girls were amazing. Yeah, yeah, so, not, we're not getting all into I know, I know, but tell them what that. happened. This is awesome. So my... We, know, we have way too much information on little kids' sports these days. <laughs> it just like kind of sucks the fun out of it. But I looked, and before the race, my girls' team was projected to score well enough to, to place in the top five, maybe six, at the state meet, which is really cool. That's a great achievement. And at the, at the one-mile mark, they actually give live updates. They show you, like, what time each girl is running and what place they're in and what the projected standings are. And I'm like, this is junior high cross country. Can't we just like, let them run and figure it out later? But no. Uh, and so I'm feeding the beast. I'm just refreshing, refreshing, refreshing as I'm looking and yelling and you know, encouraging and doing all this. And I see that they're in fifth. I'm like, sweet. So as long as they hold fifth, you know, they, they're not going to get a trophy or anything, but they're, they're going to be top five at state, which mm-hmm. is cool. Mm-hmm. And then I keep refreshing, keep refreshing, and I see Shanahan climb and climb and climb and climb. And I'm like, okay, well, something's happening here. And I, I didn't even tell you this part. So they cross the finish line. I do one final refresh, and I look, and Shanahan's the top row. And I'm like, oh, no. And I, like an idiot, I'm all alone in this crowd of people. <laughs> My last girls have come across, and I'm literally sprinting down like the side of the finish line, trying to get to my tent, and I'm like, we did it, we did it, we did it. I celebrated a little too early. There was one girl left for the team that we were in direct competition with, and her time was, no joke, the exact same time as our fifth runner. Mm. So we, we got second place by one point, point zero two seconds. That is... For, for all the visual learners out there, <laughs> we lost by that one, but still so cool, so cool for them to, to, to be able to do that and come in second place. And, you know, I, I know it's junior high sports, right? Who's like really gets amped up about it, but seeing like, seeing the hard work that kids can put in, like we, we far too often just say, uh, you know, set up to the side, I'll handle this work or I'll do this for you. 
No, they can put in hard work and they can accomplish great things if you push them to do it. So it was really cool to, to see them come in second. Our, our, the boys that ran did great. Vaughn did great. I mean, it, it's tough to run a race all by yourself without a team. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so, and he did that and killed it at state. So a lot of fun. A lot of you fun. You probably stuff. need to brew on this a little bit, but I'm curious what, what, would, what would maybe be a life lesson or two that you would teach that team from that finish and the way all that worked? Run through both mats. There's, there's two, there are two mats that, that look like this thing that covers the, the cords over here. And you have to run through both of them to get your final time. Um, so for cross country, it's literally run through both mats. But in life, finish. Finish mm. everything that you start. Don't quit. Don't give up. No matter who's in front of you, no matter who's looking around. Don't look back. Look forward and finish. Just finish. Finish, because you never know what can happen. So, yeah, yeah. So finish. We are not finishers. Yeah. And that, boy, We're that, quitters. that is, that is great. Yeah. That is great. But I love that. I yeah. love that. I, I was thinking about it, and one of the things that you come to realize is, you know, I'm sure there's going to be some, if I'd just tried a little harder, if I'd have just done a little more, sometimes someone's just better yeah. than you. Yep. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. That's okay. It's all right. Just breathe and celebrate mm -hmm. what happens. So... Great reason to celebrate. I'm just, I'm incredibly proud of, of the season you had. That's amazing. A um, couple things going on here that came out in the update for you. One, Southfield 101 is offered this afternoon, and we offer that for people who are newer to the church as well as those who are, are seeking to become members of the church. So it lasts for two hours from three to five, held here. Uh, you can sign up for it. It's nice if you register so that I know if it's your com that you're coming. But if you don't register, we're not going to lock the door on you. So uh, we'd love to have you there today. And then I, I just hate even bringing up the topic. But we have to because <clears throat> Minnesota saw this this week. Oh, on my Wednesday goodness. morning, the northern parts of Minnesota got snow. Oh, my word. So oh, my snow word. is on the horizon. <clears throat> and so there are three different classes in cross country and we were in 2A, and they rotate the times, so we actually ran the third race at 12.30, so it was nice and, and warm, uh, nice warm 50 degrees. Vaughn's race, he was running in, like, subarctic temperatures. I'm oh. pretty sure it was 5 degrees, which means snow is on the way. Yeah. Snow is coming, as much as we hate to say it, but um, the, the thing that we have a need for around here is now we have, we have a lot of sidewalk. Yeah. We have a lot of spaces that need to be cleared, not just by a truck put, shoving snow around the parking lot, but a lot of different areas that we need to make sure stay clear, sometimes at a moment's notice on Sunday morning. Um, so if you would like to be a part of that team, we'd love to, love to uh, set that up and have you be a part of that, because it it's, it's hard work, but it's fun, and it is, it's gratifying and, and uh, something that we definitely need. So snow, clowing, snow clearing here starts at about 7 in the morning to make sure that mm -hmm. the worship team walks in with a clear sidewalk as well. If you've got Sunday mornings free and that works for you, just let us know at the welcome table today. A couple of you have already responded to that. We're grateful for that. Once we have a full team, we'll, we'll contact you about the logistics. We do have a little machine that does a lot of the work, but there's still cleanup always to do with a, with a shovel as well. So, Can I give one more positive update? Sure, go ahead. The high schoolers made it out of Ikea without getting arrested. Oh, yay. Super <laughs> excited. Super happy about that. Woo! <laughs> And there was only one group, one group. So we had 26 students go out to Ikea, and every group had at least one adult with them, or people who try to act like adults from time to time. And the only group that got in trouble got in trouble with literally two minutes to go in our set time. 
they decided, for whatever reason, to take these big plush dolls and ride them, or act like they were riding them, into a battle. Some were even wearing these, these little kid towels that make them look like sharks and dinosaurs and everything. And they decided to, to run and charge at each other and then start attacking each other with plush dolls. Again, I have no idea whose idea it was. You, I definitely, you took the video, right? I definitely wasn't taking the video, uh-huh. encouraging them to do uh-huh. that. Uh-huh. So the only uh-huh. group that literally got yelled at by an IKEA um, IKEA team member was Bob's group. That's, that's Bob's group. <laughs> the way I heard this story is as the IKEA team member started yelling at our kids, uh, our really brave youth pastor walked away. <laughs> nice job. Le- left Bob holding the bag. Nice All, job. Always be faster than the slowest guy. That's it. That's it. <laughs> Oh, you're going to bring us to Psalm 119, the last two letters today as we turn toward communion. Powerful people harass me without cause, but my heart trembles only at your word. I rejoice in your word like one who discovers a great treasure. I hate and abhor all falsehood, but I love your instructions. I will praise you seven times a day because all your regulations are just. Those who love your instructions have great peace and do not stumble. I long for your rescue, Lord, so I have obeyed your commands. I have obeyed your laws, for I love them very much. Yes, I obey your commandments and laws, because you know everything I do. O Lord, listen to my cry. Give me the discerning mind that you promised. Listen to my prayer. Rescue me as you promised. Let praise flow from my lips, for you have taught me your decrees. Mm. Let my tongue sing about your word, for all your commands are right. Give me a helping hand, for I have chosen to follow your commandments. O Lord, I have longed for your rescue, and your instructions are my delight. Let me live so I can praise you, and may your regulations help me. I have wandered away like a lost sheep. Come and find me, for I have not forgotten your commandments. Lord God in heaven, the fact is we do wander like lost sheep. And I'm grateful that we have a a father, a shepherd, who wanders after the one that wanders, who brings the sheep back home. Every Sunday, we have the opportunity to be reminded of the fact that you're aware of us when we're by your side and when we're wandering. We come to communion today and we ask for your forgiveness for our sin. Anything that is blocking our relationship with you today, we confess it to you. And God, we're grateful for your word, for being able to be guided by it. Lord, I pray that as we walk to communion, we'd remember that you want us to walk according to your word. Let us never forget that. In the name of Jesus, amen. So you can go to communion, two tables at the front and at the back, gluten-free on the sides of the platform as well as the back. We've been spending the early part of this fall in a series that we've called, Can I Trust the Bible? And that is a good question. It's a question every person should ask. 
It's a question every Christian should ask. Can I trust the Bible? And you may be thinking, well, that sounds faithless. How in, the world can I, how in the world can I even think that way? We all need to ask that question. To be honest, you can't have faith unless you've had questions. You can't have faith unless you've had doubts. You come to a place of realization that you, that you know all you can know, and then you say, God, I trust you. I trust you more than I trust me. And so we've been looking at the Bible itself and asking questions of the Bible, trying to understand whether or not it is a truly trustworthy book. As we've looked at it, uh, we've said there, there are a couple of basic approaches that we can take to the Word of God. Uh, one is a skeptical approach, and the other is a cynical approach. The skeptical approach is a good approach. It's an approach that, that looks at the Bible and says, I've been given this book. I'm told it's the Word of God. I'm told that, that I'm supposed to pattern my life after it. Can I trust it? And that question is asked with sincerity and with humility and in hopes of finding that answer. And then you have the cynical approach. The cynical approach hears about a Bible, an authority over one's life, and, and almost from the beginning closes one's mind. There's no way that can be true. There's no way that can be true. And so that person sets out not to try to understand, not with a humble heart trying to understand or an open heart trying to understand, but with a proud, closed heart trying to destroy and deconstruct everything that's said about the Bible. They, they don't approach it trying to determine whether or not the Bible is trustworthy. They've decided it ahead of time. It is not trustworthy. And some of us have been there. We've been in that cynical place. And some of us know people who are cynical toward or about the Word of God. The cynic, when they are talking about the Bible with us, have one approach that they really like to use. They try to pass off much of what the Bible has to say in a simplistic fashion. Many, many years ago, there was a TV show that I enjoyed watching, and the main character one day is confronting this, this person who claims to be an evangelical, claims to be a Christ follower, and, and is just kind of in the perspective of a very liberal TV show, is an extremist. And so um, the, he, this, this character looks at this person, looks them in the eye, and decides they're going to take them down publicly. And they start quoting laws from the Old Testament. They start asking questions like, so, have you ever worn a garment that's made of two fabrics? So, have you ever this? Have you ever that? And they start quoting all of these different laws to try to minimize, to try to, to, try to deflate the person who's saying that God is actually God and he should be followed. And, and what amazes me is when these simplistic approaches are used, more often than not, Christ followers are caught flat-footed. We're kind of like, well, yeah, I do mix, wear mixed clothing. Oh, no, what, 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 what? And, and we fall for, we fall for the simplistic arguments. We fall for the simplistic arguments that are thrown out there about the Word of God. Understand there's a huge difference between being simple and simplistic. I am simple. I like simple. When I'm speaking on a Sunday morning, I need to be simple. I've got seventh graders sitting here and 70-year-olds sitting here, and, and I need to make sure that everybody's able to understand and follow along. Simple is not bad. Simple is easily understood. Presents little difficulty, plain, basic, focusing on a single element, not compound. That's simple. Simplistic is not good. 
Simplistic is treating complex issues and problems as if they were much simpler than they really are, or even more importantly, treating a problem or subject with false simplicity by omitting or ignoring complicating factors or details. So they'll take something that's complex, something that has mystery about it, something that can't be simply uh, solved with a single sentence, and they'll boil it down in such a way that it really avoids what's going on in the basic argument. We see this simplistic approach when it comes to the Old Testament and the New Testament. When the cynic looks at the Word of God, they look at the Old Testament and the New Testament, and they say, okay, you claim to worship a God who wrote one divine book, and you're supposed to follow that divine book. But when I look at that book, I feel like I see two books. I see two books. I see an Old Testament and a New Testament. And in those two books, it's almost like two conflicting things are going on. How in the world can the Old Testament and the New Testament stand side by side and be considered one cohesive book? Because in their minds, there's no way this is cohesive. There's too much conflict between the two. It, it begins by simply looking at what they, what they perceive to be conflicting gods, They'll refer to the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. By the way, this kind of, mm, it irritates me a little bit when Christians refer to the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament, we only worship one God. He's the same God in the Old Testament and the New Testament. But the cynic, the cynic will try to make it sound as if you, you worship kind of this, this, uh, this bipolar God. You worship this God who's one thing in the Old Testament and quite another thing in the New Testament, and how in the world are those both the same God? They'll ask a question like, who is God? Who is God? And, well, one way to describe God, one word. God is love. God is love. 1 John 4, 8 says it with clarity, right? Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Notice John doesn't even say God is loving or God does loving things, says God is the definition of love. God is love. And so they look at that and they say, God is love. And they see that in the New Testament. But then they turn over to the Old Testament. I don't know if you've ever known somebody who's a new believer and they say, where should I start writing, reading in the Bible? I don't know of a person that has ever said Leviticus. We all, we all say, you know, go to Mark, go to John, go to the Gospels. And, and we kind of just, just leave the front part of the Bible alone for a little while, okay? Don't, don't go there yet. Why? Well, because you go over to the old part and what does it say? I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God, therefore be holy because I am holy. Wait a second, are you holy or are you loving? What's going on here? Because most people don't view holy as loving. Most people view holiness and purity as judgmental. Or how about this verse? For the Lord your God is a consuming fire. How in the world can God be a God of love and a, cons not, a not a nice warm bonfire, a consuming fire, one looking to burn you up? How can it be both? How can God be both? It's not possible. See, you people, you people don't understand even your own religion. What's your problem? Got an interesting going on thing on here on the platform after the message is done. Ryan's going to come up and he's going to be standing right here. A few years back, Ryan started playing the guitar for us. You know, he's I, probably 15, I don't know. 
Starts playing the guitar, and everybody's like, wow, the kid's got, the kid's got skill as a guitar player. That's fantastic. COVID comes along, and we do those handful of uh, online services. And in one of them, his little brother and little sister are singing. And they're, I think they got a little lost in the song, and so Ryan starts singing along with them. And Shelly's watching, he goes, oh, that boy's going to sing. That boy's going to sing. We got back from COVID, Ryan starts singing. And he's gone from singing to really leading worship. And then a couple weeks ago, he comes over here and ding, ding, ding. And you're like, okay, where does this stop? Sincerely, I mean, playing the guitar, singing, playing the keyboard, all with excellence. He's doing it really well. But you know what y'all don't even know, probably? Ryan's a really gifted athlete. I don't know how good he is at basketball. He might be Brian good at basketball, which is good enough to hold, but not good enough to, you know, be a bull. But anyway... um, He's good at basketball, but he's really, really good at baseball. He pitches and and will probably play for a college team. Now, here's what I ask you. You can't, this can't be, right? You can't be good at music and be a good athlete. You've got to be one or the other. I mean, how many, really? There's no way you can be a good athlete and a good musician. Or how about this side over here, Shelly over here? The, The girl can sing like nobody's business. She, she plays the keys. Oh, and then she jumps over here and plays the cello. She jumps over here and plays the beatbox, the cajon. She's playing all this different stuff. And during the week, she's a math teacher. I don't know about you. I don't put great musician and math teacher in the same sentence, right? Those are kind of, they're opposite. How can that be? Of course it can be. You can be more than one thing. You you can be a good musician and a good athlete and a good math teacher. You can be more than one good thing. You see, when we look at God simplistically, we only want him to be one thing. We zero in on one attribute. We only want him to be love, but God is not only love. God is love, and God is holy, and God is jealous, and God is a consuming fire. God is all of these things. And the reason we have the Old Testament and the New Testament is to get to know all of God and not just the part we like. For some of us, we like the Old and the New Testament. God, we imagine a grandpa with a long beard bouncing a baby on his knee. And you go over to the Old Testament, and he feels like, you know, a 22-year-old biker with a chain ready to take someone out. What's going on here? God has a complex personality, and guess what? You're created in his image, and by the way, you have a complex personality. You confuse people. You do, because we're created with complexity the same way God is created. God is complex. So, we don't have conflicting gods to worship There isn't a God of the Old Testament and a God of the New Testament. You see, when we try to be simplistic, simplistic solutions deconstruct complexity, they minimize nuance, they understate paradox, and they compress mystery. And in doing so, you don't have faith. You have something you can explain, but that's not faith in the God of heaven. Now, another thing that the cynical do is they'll look at the Bible and they'll say, Okay, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But when I read the Bible, it seems like there's more than one way to heaven that's given to us. There are conflicting paths to salvation. So let's go back to our favorite book, Leviticus. You must obey all my regulations and be careful to obey all my decrees, for I am the Lord your God. If you obey my decrees and my regulations, you will find life through them. I am the Lord. 
Moses is quoted or talked about in Romans by Paul. It says, for Moses writes that the law's way of making a person right with God requires obedience to all of its commands. So people look at this and they say, it seems like there's an Old Testament way of salvation and a New Testament way of salvation. The Old Testament way seems like you need to obey the law perfectly and participate in the sacrificial system flawlessly, and if you do that, you'll go to heaven. Honestly, I remember as a kid sitting in church and my pastor explaining that if a person could be perfect, that's a way of salvation. And I'm like, that's interesting, but that is, that's about a big as if, a big an if as a person here saying, if I could just become an elephant. Now, I know it's 2022 and weird things happen, but um, <laughs> nobody's going to wish themselves an elephant here today. It doesn't happen. So that if is theoretical at best, and will never happen because nobody can be perfect. Nobody can be perfect. But then you come over to the New Testament, and Paul and James and even Moses in Genesis explains there is one way to salvation. It says, Abraham believed God, and, it counted, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. Not because he kept the law perfectly, not because he was flawless in the sacrificial system, because of his faith. James says, it happened as the scripture says, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called a friend of God. Moses says, Abraham believed the Lord and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. There is only one way of salvation. There is only one way of salvation. It's not obey the law or receive the grace. We all have faith. Now we have different perspective, right? We look to the past. We see Jesus as having hung on a cross. They're looking forward to a Messiah to come, but nonetheless, we're all placing our faith in God, who is the one who provides atonement for our sins. So the cynic can kind of make it sound as if we have all these conflicting ways of salvation. They are not conflicting ways of salvation at all. Then you start getting into the law. The law is easy to mock, as a cynic, and honestly, as a sincere person, the law is difficult to understand. I listened through, I'm listening through the Bible this year, and I got to tell you, I'm listening through Leviticus, I'm listening through Deuteronomy, and more than once, I'd come home from a walk, and I'd say to Kim, I just don't get it. I don't, some of the laws are so bizarre. What's going on here? What's this all about? It seems as if there are these conflicting laws that we're supposed to obey, but here, let me just give you a sample of a couple. This is how you would be determined to be clean or unclean. Of the animals that scurry along the ground, these are the unclean for you. The mole rat. Oh, good to know. The rat, the large lizard of all kinds, the gecko, the monitor lizard, the common lizard, the sand lizard, and the chameleon. Don't eat them unclean. All these small animals are unclean for you. If any of you even touch the dead body of such an animal, you'll be defiled until evening. Do you really need a command not to eat a gecko? 
that nice little insurance lizard? Do you really need to be told, don't bite his head off and see? I, I, I always forget about this. So was, I'm a youth pastor in St. Pete, and you've seen those little lizards that run all over the place in Florida. They do push-ups. They just sit there doing this at you. The kids used to grab those, squeeze their jaws, bite their tongue, and then they bite the body off, and they'd walk up to you and go, with a lizard head on. I wish I had known about this verse back then, right? It's the only time I've known a person to be tempted to eat a lizard. So, don't eat lizards unclean. Here's something else you may have been wondering. You may wonder about Don Yost. You may wonder about Jared Tanner, or Jared, I'm sorry, Jared Brooks. I was talking to Ryan Tanner yesterday. If a man loses his hair and his head becomes bald, he is still ceremonially clean. It's okay for him to come to church. And if he loses hair on his forehead, he simply has a bald forehead. He's still clean. Good to know. Good to Do you see how one thing, it's confusing, but the other, it's really easy as a cynic to mock it. It really is easy as a cynic to say, really? This is what matters to your God? A diet of geckos? They'll say it's too detailed. It gets down in this micro nusha. Why do we care about that? It's too dated. And further, there are, there are too few. Do you know there are only 618 laws of Moses? Our Congress can make 618 laws in 12 minutes, right? I mean, 618 laws, and that's it, it covers everything. But here's what we need to understand about the laws. Many of the laws God gave were paradigmatic. What does that mean? He doesn't give us a law for every instance. This means specific examples were given, which were intended to teach broader life concepts. The law may have a specific application, but a deeper life lesson could touch on many more situations that the Bible could never mention. In other words, a law was given as an example. It was not intended to be exhaustive. And so we take the time to read a law and say, how might this have a broader application? So I come over to this one in Deuteronomy 24, and it talks about harvesting. And it says, when you're harvesting your grain... You don't have to go back and get the extra that fell on the ground. If you're harvesting your olives and you shake the tree, don't shake the tree twice, just once. If you're gathering grapes and some are left on the vine, leave them alone. Leave them so that the foreigners, the orphans, and the widows can come along and have something to eat. Now, we look around and say, I don't know anybody in the church that harvests grain. I don't know anybody that grows olives. I don't know anybody that, that grows grapes for a living. And so because of that, we don't have to worry about this particular verse. You know how this verse applies? to us. All the junk we have in our attic that we keep thinking, I'm going to have a garage sale someday. I'm going to make me 60 bucks off this stuff. And God's saying, why aren't you a little freer about the stuff that's laying on the ground? Give it away. Give it away. Just give it away. Moses had no context for goodwill or garage sale, you know, but he did have a context that said, you don't have to squeeze Lincoln's beard off every penny. Be generous. Be generous. Sometimes people also see the law as too oppressive. It's just too oppressive. This is part of what happened to me as I'm reading through the law. I, overall, I'm a, I'm a decent person. I only occasionally cut people off on a bridge. You know, I, I, I literally drive the speed limit more often than not. And I'm listening to the law of Moses and I'm going, I would be in trouble every day. 
how in the world do you keep all this straight? And I think that as you read it and as you listen to it, it's supposed to feel oppressive. It's supposed to feel oppressive. Because the question comes down to what did the law accomplish? It exposes our helplessness. It shows us we can't do it on our own. You can try. You can't obey the law on your own. You need help. I don't know if you, if you have kids, you might have done this at some point along the way. I was trying to think of a specific example in our life where you, where you give your kid a project that's just over his head. It's beyond her. But you give it to them. Why? Not to get the project done, but so that they'll say, I can't do this on my own. And you say, congratulations, lesson learned. We need other people. We need help. We need to feel the freedom to ask for help. It exposes our helplessness. And by the way, it's not only what the law did accomplish, it's what the law does accomplish. It reveals God's holiness. 2022 America, we do not take sin seriously. We do not take impurity seriously. And you know what happens when you read the law? You realize purity matters. Holiness matters. The way we sin matters. And so it reveals something of the character and nature of the holiness of God besides simply God is love and I refuse to see the complexity of all that God is. There's one other thing that I want to look at before we close. And that is that when you're looking at the law, you need to understand that as you're looking at the law of Moses, there's not just one kind of law given there in the law of Moses. There are actually three different kinds of laws. Some of them are civil laws. Civil laws are the laws that applied to the nation of Israel as a theocracy. It was not intended that every government after that would would apply those civil laws. What's beautiful is that we can use them as a paradigm. Uh, You know, up until probably very recently, America has used the laws of Moses as a paradigm. We've used them as a way, we've used the Ten Commandments as a way of saying this is the way we're going to live as a society. But they're not given to us as a command. They were given to Israel as a command. Living in a theocracy, these were the civil laws to be obeyed. Then there are ceremonial laws, that whole bald head thing, not eating geckos. Those are ceremonial laws that determine whether you were clean or unclean and and what needed to happen in terms of the sacrificial system. And then there are moral laws. Ten Commandments, moral laws, lays it out. Don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery. You look at those moral laws. God gives us moral laws and says this is to be lived and obeyed. When, it, when, a, when a cynic is approaching you simplistically, they'll ask you things like, you know, so you ate a gecko the other day. You didn't go to church, right? You can't do that. You can't, you can't wear two different types of fabric in the same piece of clothing. You can't do that. The law of Moses forbids that. And what's, what we don't understand is not all the law is still for today. The civil law was intended for the nation of Israel. The ceremonial law finds its fulfillment in Jesus. Everything about the ceremonial law was pointing toward Jesus. And when Jesus dies and is buried and is resurrected, the ceremonial law is accomplished. It's done. So you don't have to worry about whether or not you wore the right fabric to church today or what you ate during the week. I love shrimp. You're allowed to eat shrimp. That's part of the ceremonial law fulfilled in Jesus. 
But the moral law is timeless. It does not go away. And this is where we get ourselves in some trouble because we'll use the civil or ceremonial law simplistically to try to write off all the law, not understanding that the moral law never changes. God never changes and his moral law never changes. doesn't matter what America thinks. The moral law never changes. We can trust the Bible. We can we, we've, we've hit this thing head on. We've, we've talked about our ugly underbelly, right? We've not just presented. We've not just, we've looked at Leviticus. We've looked at the tough stuff. And as you look at it, you can see that there is sound reasoning for accepting the Bible as the Word of God. But ultimately, it comes down to faith. Ultimately, it comes down to believing that if God has spoken, I need to listen. And like I said at the beginning, some of you go, oh, faith, I knew you were going to say that. That's what pastors always say. you got to have faith. You live by faith every day of your life. You had countless acts of faith that you did even before you showed up here today. So don't just look at religious people and say, oh, they, they do that faith thing. We don't. Every person is a person of faith. Every person has a point that their knowledge ends and they have to trust somebody else. And you choose whether or not you're going to trust. The Bible is trustworthy and the Bible is good. And I can tell you this, and it is not the main reason for following the Bible, but it is a good reason for following the Bible. From experience, it works. It works. The life I have with my wife, with my children in my place of work, in my neighborhood, the life I have, I have because I follow God's word. And if I don't like what it says, I don't throw it away. I say, I need to change. It works. It's been proven for thousands of years by those who are willing to trust and obey. And so I leave you with the challenge, will you do the same? Will you trust the Word of God and obey the Word of God? Will you put your nose in the Word of God besides the time you do on a Sunday morning, spending time in it during the week, looking, listening, hearing what God has to say? Father God in heaven, give us, give us the humility to listen to you. The open heart to, to open that Word and take in what you have to say. Let it change us so that we might become more like Jesus. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. There's a classic line from literature. I love it. It's overused, but it's beautiful. Uh, C.S. Lewis is, has a character named Susan who's about to learn of the true identity of Aslan, the lion, who's a picture of Christ. And um, she finds out that he's not a man. And she's like, he's a lion, not a man? Is he safe? And, and I love it because another character in the book says, he's a lion. Of course he's not safe. But he is good. But he is good. And what I find beautiful in what Lewis wrote there is he recognizes the complexity of God. 
we too often try to simplify God down to one attribute, one thing. We flatten him out. And when we flatten him out to one attribute, we do not have God. And so this week, as you go through your week, explore all of who God is. Not just your favorite attribute, not just your favorite characteristic, but all of who God is. He is not safe, but he is good. Enjoy your week. We'll see you.